both believers and unbelievers who have died will bodily be raised from the dead. Jesus spoke of that. And here he speaks of those who sleep in the dust of the ground. Please understand, he is not referring to a person's soul or spirit, to the immaterial person of man. He's referring to a person's body. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church of Beaufort, South Carolina. We're in the final verses of our study of the book of Daniel. As we pick up where we left off yesterday, Dr. Brogy describes what life on earth will be like when our Lord Jesus Christ returns for his second coming. One day is, is a thousand years and a thousand years to the Lord is like a day. So in essence, he's only been gone two days. But there is coming a time in human history that is unprecedented that the prophet Daniel leaks to the latter days like Moses does. And the Lord Jesus links to his second coming to the earth. And so then John will say to the church at Philadelphia, or Jesus does, he writes it, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Not to the church, but to the churches. Churches just like this one. Friends, this is a promise that if you have been born again, you will not be here for the hour of testing. You will not be here for the great tribulation. God will take you out before that time in human history. But my friend, if you are an unbeliever and Jesus comes and catches up his church, you will enter into the very worst time this world has ever imagined, a time of persecution, a time of suffering, a time of distress and devastation that is still in front of us. Now, that's the tribulation that will be unleashed. Secondly, I want you to think with me about the tombs the tombs that will be unsealed, the tombs that are going to be unsealed. And so beginning in the middle of verse 2, the prophet Daniel speaks of three groups of people. First, he describes the saved people, the saved who are rescued, the saved who are rescued. Listen now to verse 4 of Daniel 12, and there will be a time of distress such as has never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And at that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book, will be rescued. As horrible as the coming tribulation period will be, there are actually some people who will be spared during this time of human history. Jesus made that clear in Matthew 24, 22. Listen to these words. And if those days had not been cut short, the days of the great tribulation, no one would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. That statement by Jesus himself plainly tells us that not everyone will lose their head like most Gentiles who come to faith during that time. Not everyone will be headed. Not everyone will lose their life. That there will be people who will survive the great tribulation period. And at that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book will be rescued. Written in what book? I preached a sermon once called God's Library. It was 26 years ago, one of the first sermons I preached. We don't even have it on tape. I should preach it again. I spoke about five books that God has in his library. One of those books is called the Book of Life. It's all called, also called the Lamb's Book of Life. And in it are the names of everyone who will be saved. God actually recorded the names before the foundation of the world. You say he fixed it all and preordained it all. No, he didn't. 
God is an omniscient God. He knows all that will take place. If God didn't know in the end who will be saved, God wouldn't be God. This nonsense that InterVarsity Press now espouses called open theism, that God is learning is absolute heresy and blasphemy. God knows it all. He knows the beginning from the end. And God knew who would be saved. If God didn't know that, God wouldn't be God. But that in no way mitigates against your free will to choose. In either case, those people's names in the book of life, some on the Old Testament side, believing in God's provision that would come through the Messiah, those of us on the other side of the cross looking back at what God did through one named Yeshua, their names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And so when the Lord comes back, it will be a time of great blessing for some and a time of great horror for others. And so the church is taken up, a seven-year period begins, and during that seven-year period, as we'll see in a moment, some will be saved, the vast majority of the billions on the earth will be lost. And in describing the event that follows that seven-year period called the second coming, Paul says, when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels and flaming fire, that's his visible return to the earth. First, he comes to catch us up in the air. That's called the rapture. Then he comes to the earth to rule and reign. He will deal out retribution to those who do not know God. That's the essence of salvation to know the Lord, to those who do not obey or respond to the gospel of the Lord Jesus. What will happen? These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction. Not everyone goes to heaven. Hell is real. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power when He comes to be glorified in His saints on that day to be marveled at marveled at among those who believed. So it's a time of great blessing for some, a time of great horror for others. Jesus speaking of this time at his second coming. He said, then there will be two men in the field. One will be taken, one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken, one will be left. This has nothing, of course, to do with the rapture. The rapture is not even found in the Olivet Discourse. Jesus doesn't even reveal the truth of the rapture until that unbeliever Judas is left. One will be taken away in judgment. One will be left to rule and reign with the Messiah upon the earth. Now here's a chart that might be helpful to you, kind of an overview of the events. Um, listen, if the church is here for the great tribulation, there are some Christians who think we'll be here for the great tribulation. That the rapture and the second coming is one simultaneous event. Well, if that were true, if we go up in the rapture, and at the rapture, the catching up, that's all the word means. You say it's not found in the Bible. It's found in the Latin translation of the Bible. It just, you call it the harpazo. You can call it the catching up. I don't care what you call it. But we're going to be caught up. And in the twinkling of an eye, we're going to be transformed. We're going to have a resurrection body. In your resurrection body, you'll be like Christ. You won't be able to sin. Well, if we're here for the great tribulation, if we're caught up and then we make a U-turn to the earth... And we rule and reign with the Lord for a thousand years, then how on earth can Revelation 20, verses 7 through 9 take place? Let me read it to you. When the thousand years are completed, at the second coming of Christ, Satan is bound. So here's the picture the church age, the rapture. Uh, there's a period of time, days, weeks, possibly months. And then the Antichrist comes on the scene, seven year period takes place. Can, culminates with the second coming. Satan's bound for a thousand years. 
When the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations, which are the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together for the war. The number of them is like the sand of the seashore. And they will come up in the broad plain of the earth and surround the camp of the saints and the beloved city, and fire will come down from heaven and devour them. So if everyone is raptured at the second coming, and we all come back in resurrection bodies, and we neither marry nor are given marriage, then who on earth can the devil deceive at the end of the thousand years? No one. But if the church is first caught up, then the tribulation period unfolds, and people get saved during the tribulation, Jew and Gentile alike, and then they enter the millennial reign of Christ in their natural bodies, which a literal plain interpretation of Scripture demands, and people live like they did before the great flood, and they have children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren and great-grandchildren and so forth. Look, just because I'm, unbel I'm a believer doesn't make my children a believer. children believers. God has children. He doesn't have grandchildren. Each one has to believe for himself. And even with Jesus ruling and reigning upon the earth, even with the devil locked up with no one to deceive, really showing how fallen and wicked we are, there will be some people who will not believe on the Lord Jesus. And when the devil is loosed, he will gather those people to go against God's Messiah, the Lord Jesus himself. Listen, the plain reading of Scripture demands that the church be caught up before the great tribulation period. So there is the saved who are rescued, but there are also the dead, the dead who are raised. Again here in Daniel chapter 12 and verse 2, many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. So Daniel is teaching that both believers and unbelievers who have died will bodily be raised from the dead. Jesus spoke of that. And here he speaks of those who sleep in the dust of the ground. Please understand, he is not referring to a person's soul or spirit, to the immaterial person of man. He's referring to a person's body. The real you, the moment you die goes home to be with the Lord Jesus. And that is affirmed in numerous, numerous passages. And you need to know this because you're going to have someone in your family or some friend who is going to need comfort, and they're going to ask you as an ignorant Christian, where is my loved one? Are they there in that grave? Their body is, and the body is asleep, and it's a beautiful metaphor. In fact, the word cemetery in Greek means a sleeping place. It describes the state of the body, but that's only the body. Listen to what James said in James 2 and verse 26. For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. James tells us that the body without the spirit is dead, which tells me at death, the spirit leaves the body. The spirit exits the body. The body sleeps just as you got up last night. Someday your body will get up out of a grave if someone buries it before the rapture. You're dead. Your body, but your person will never die. It's home with the Lord. Now, understand, you're not dead when your heart and lungs stop. Dealt with a dear friend in Texas recently, and they called me, and they said there's no brain activity, zero, none. The doctors have her body alive. Is she dead? I said, she's dead. 
As soon as you pull the plug, she's gone. She's actually already gone. The spirit has already left. But they kept her alive so she could give her organs to people who could use them. Not a problem, by the way, biblically speaking. You say, what if I give my heart to somebody? You know, Jesus is in my heart. What happens if I give my heart to that guy, you know? <laughs> Look, please. Oh. Now, sometimes people will say to me, well, you know, I died on the operating table and I came back to life. Or sometimes people say, I died three times. You didn't die three times. It's appointed for a man to die once. Now, your heart and lungs may have stopped, but death doesn't take place until the spirit leaves the body. And almost always these people tell me, oh, why are you going to heaven? Well, you know, I died, Pastor, and I saw this great light, and God told me I was such a good person that everything was fine. God didn't tell you that, and you didn't die. Listen, here's James' point. For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith also without works is dead. The point he wants to make is that you can say and believe that a person is still alive, but if the spirit is left, they are dead. And you can say that you have faith, but if you don't have a faith that has changed your life, then it's not a real faith. It's a faith that is dead. You say, well, if the spirit doesn't sleep in the grave, but only the body does, where does it go and do people have conscious fellowship with the Lord? Well, Moses and Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration had conscious fellowship. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them talking with him. I'd say that's pretty conscious. Jesus said to the thief on the cross who came to faith, Truly, truly, I say to you, today you'll be with me not in the grave sleeping, but you'll be with me in paradise. In Hebrews 12 and verse 23, it refers to heaven as the place of the spirits of righteous men that are made perfect. Stephen, as he's stoned to death, he looks up and he says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. His body laid there on the ground, but his spirit went home to be with the Lord. And Revelation 6, describing these believers who are beheaded during the tribulation, the souls of those who've been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which, which they maintain. They never renounced Jesus, never took the mark of the beast, showing their faith was genuine. They cried out with a loud voice. How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? How much longer, Lord? Look, those people are very conscious. They're crying out. Paul said, we are of good courage, and I say, and prefer to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Absent from the body, present with Jesus. That's why he could tell the Philippians, for me to live as Christ, and to die is gain, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, that is very much better. But I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is much better. Paul said, on the one hand, I'm between a rock and a hard place. There's a part of me that would like to stay here to serve you, to help the body of Christ and continue evangelizing the world. But I know it would be much better to depart and be home with Jesus that is far better. And remember, he writes this six years after he writes 2 Corinthians. He has already been given a glimpse of glory where God pulled back the curtain and showed him how marvelous and how wonderful heaven is. So marvelous, he has to be given a thorn in the flesh so that he never brags about it. He tells the church at Thessalonica, you don't have to grieve like those who have no hope. Unbelievers grieve like those who have no hope or a false hope. Well, he's in a better place. Not if he was an unbeliever. 
He's not in a better place. But you who are really saved don't have to grieve like those who have no hope because, therefore, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and that's our confession at our baptism, that our faith is in the death and resurrection of Christ as pictured in baptism. If we believe Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him With him from where? From heaven. With him, those who have fallen asleep, absent from the body, present with the Lord. If I drop dead this morning on this platform before the rapture, Jesus will come back with my spirit from heaven and he will reconnect it to the body in the grave. Those of us who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the air. The dead in Christ will come out of the grave first. Those of us who are alive will be caught up. There'll be a great celebration in the sky. So listen, contrary to my Seventh-day Adventist friends, your body, soul, and spirit does not sleep in the grave. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. Look at Daniel 12, 2. Many of those who are asleep and the dust of the ground will awake these to everlasting life. But look at the corollary. But the others, to disgrace and everlasting contempt, The first group speaks of these Jews and Gentiles who have died in this time of distress, described in the first verse, the time of the tribulation. These were martyred during the great tribulation. And then he speaks of these unbelievers. Now, interestingly, the resurrection of unbelievers is separated in the New Testament by a thousand years. Let me read to you Revelation 20 and verse 5. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection. So he speaks of the first resurrection that you want to be a part of, but the rest of the dead who are part of the second resurrection as you read that chapter, they don't come to life until it's all over. They come to a time of disgrace and everlasting contempt. Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these the second death has no power. But they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. Now, by the way, let me say parenthetically, there are some Christians who say, well, if the first resurrection, and there's clearly a resurrection at the end of the tribulation, at the end of the time of distress in Revelation 12.1, if that happens at the end of the time of distress, then that must mean that Christians aren't raptured seven years before. But understand the term in the Bible, first resurrection, is not dealing so much with the hour of the resurrection as the kind of resurrection. It's not dealing so much with the timing, but the type. Let me explain. There's a resurrection program that God gives in his word that is different, by the way, from those who've been raised from the dead. Seven people in the Bible are raised out of death into life. You know that. Elijah raised one. Elisha raised one. Jesus raised three. Maybe Lazarus, the most famous. Paul raised one. Peter raised one. Seven people. But guys like Lazarus eventually got old or sick, we're not told, and they died and they're buried in some tomb over there in Israel. They were raised to life. Jesus was the first ever to be raised from the dead, resurrected to life. And there's a difference. Now, there are seven feasts in the Old Testament. They're a study in themselves. If you've been with us on Wednesday nights, we've hit on them a little bit. Four in the spring of the year, three in the fall of the year. The four in the spring of the year have already been fulfilled in the first coming of Christ. The three in the fall of the year are types or symbols of what will happen at the second coming of Christ. One of those four spring feasts is called first fruits. If you've studied first fruits in the Bible, again, these are pictures of what God is going to do through his son. They would bring, you know what first fruits are. If you're a farmer, you know what the first fruits are. It's the early part of the crop. 
And it uh, usually comes three or four weeks before the big harvest comes. Those few plants that ripen early. And so when first fruits came, they would bring a single sheaf. And the priests would bless it and dedicate it to the Lord. And then they would take a handful of grain and the people would be able to eat it. And it was symbolic of God's blessing of the harvest to come. And so Christ is the first one ever raised from the dead. He is that single sheaf. And the handful of grain that the people eat before the big harvest represented those people who came to resurrection after Jesus raised. An often overlooked verse is Matthew 27, 52. Jesus put it there because it was the fulfillment of the illustration found in first fruits. It says in verse 52 of Matthew 27, the tombs were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection. They entered the holy city and appeared to many. God included that to picture for us first fruits. So Paul says this, 1 Corinthians 15, the great resurrection chapter. But each in his own order, Christ, he's the single sheaf, the first fruits, that's his handful of Old Testament saints. After that, those who are his at his coming. So if you've been saved, you're a part of the harvest who's to come. Here is a diagram Steve made for me beautifully. Uh, in the first fruits, you have Christ and that handful of Old Testament saints. We're in the church age right now. The next part of the harvest is called the rapture of the church. And then to come are the gleanings that will begin with the tribulation saints all the way through the end of the millennium. Those people who come to faith uh, during the tribulation and, and even those who believe during the time of the millennial because not all children will be unbelievers. So if you study the scripture carefully, you discover there are actually seven resurrections listed in the Bible. Christ was the first, that handful of Old Testament saints, then the saints who are raptured, then there are two witnesses in Revelation 11 that God takes directly up to heaven after they've laid dead in the streets for three days and the world parties over their death. Then the tribulation, all the Old Testament saints and the tribulation saints who are raised. And then the gleanings at the end of the millennial reign of Christ where the Lord rules on the earth. That's all part of the first resurrection. But then there's the second resurrection. Listen to what John said. Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power. Again, they will be priests of God and of his Christ. They'll rule and reign for a thousand years. Listen, the first resurrection is not an event, it is an order. And it encompasses six different resurrections based, that's described in the Bible. The second resurrection is the worst resurrection. That's the resurrection of the lost. Listen, just as there are two kinds of death, there are two kinds of resurrection. The first death we call physical death. The second death is what the Bible refers to as eternal death. And just as in physical death, not everybody dies at once, but over a period of time. Even so, on the second death, not everyone, uh, you know, it happens over a period of time. So the first death, you will die if Jesus doesn't come back before the rapture of the church. But I want to tell you, if you do, you'll be present with the Lord. That's a glorious truth. I don't feel sad for anyone's funeral I have to attend. I rejoice for them if I know they're a believer. Now, if they're not, it's a grievous thing for me as a pastor to officiate over. So, 
We could spend an hour there. Come back for the book of Revelation. I'll detail it for you, okay? Now, uh, there's the saved who are rescued, the dead who are raised. Finally, there's the wise who are rewarded. The wise who are rewarded. Let's think about this group highlighted here in verse 3. Those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven and those who lead the many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. He describes two groups of believers who are rewarded for their faithfulness during the time of the tribulation. First, he speaks of those who have insight, that they will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven. This is a reference in the scripture to those who faithfully teach the word of God. How do I know that? Because scripture interprets scripture. For instance, we've already seen in Daniel eleven thirty three, those who have insight, same phrase, among the people will give understanding to the many. And so he's talking about those who open the word of God and help people to understand it. Now, God certainly has teachers and pastor teachers in the church to do that. But it is extended beyond that in Scripture. There's a sense if you've been saved, God has called you to teach. Maybe not in a formal way, in an adult Bible fellowship or as a pastor of a church, but there ought to be some questions that you can answer. That every time you have a question, you don't have to run to your pastor. You can say, well, let me show you what the Bible says. Go, therefore, the commission given to the whole church, and make converts, disciples of all people. What do you do with those new converts? You baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and you teach them all that I taught you. That's the great commission that's given to every blood-bought child of God. It's a common responsibility that we share. And God wants to remind you this morning, though he's dealing with those in the tribulation, the New Testament deals with the same truth, that if you are involved in the process of giving men and women and boys and girls insight, whether it's in a Awana class or the children in your home or someone in your neighborhood, God is going to reward you for that. And then he adds, and those who lead the many to righteousness... Like the, stars for, who, like the stars forever and ever. This is a description of those, especially during the tribulation period, because of the great cost that it will bring to share your faith, as even in our day, the cost is getting greater. But nonetheless, those who lead or introduce people to Christ, those who teach, those who win people, are compared to the expanse, the brightness of the sky, and to the stars that are in the heaven above. They will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven, and those who lead the many to righteousness, those who point Jesus, people to Yeshua to Jesus, like the stars forever and ever. It's a picture of reward. Listen, heaven is wonderful for everyone who goes. But it's not the same for everyone who goes. There are some Christians who have their whole reward burned up in smoke. You're not saved by works, you're saved by grace, but you are rewarded for your service. And so one of the crowns that God speaks of in the New Testament is the crown of rejoicing, or sometimes we call it the soul winner's crown. Is that crown, that reward that God gives to the faithful believer who points people to the Savior. God has commissioned his believers to share with the world the hope that is within them. And those who obey will be rewarded. Tomorrow, Dr. Brogy concludes his look at Daniel and his message, God's Final Forecast. To listen again, use the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets, or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. You can also order a CD or DVD copy by calling 877 787 7478 and requesting program DAN19. 
tomorrow the conclusion of Daniel. Join us then as we search the scriptures. Mm-hmm.